during the music service and see folks just kind of, and I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute, <laughs> something's not going across somewhere. Uh, listen, folks, we're looking forward to a time when we are there in the presence of God, experiencing all the joy and bliss of heaven. Now, I understand things might be a little tough down here right now, but we're not living for right now, right? We're looking for the time when we're there in the presence of the saviors. We ought to be excited about that, I think at least. Right. All right. Well, I'm glad all of you are here this morning. I appreciate you taking time out to come out to the Lord's house on a Sunday morning. If it's a beautiful day out there and there's so many other places that people could be, but we set aside time for the Lord and, and I appreciate you doing that this morning. I want to remind you, by the way, if you're a guest with us today, if this is your first time here or maybe it's the first time in, in quite a while, we'd ask you to stop by our welcome center and Give us a record of your visit. We've got a gift that we want to give you as well just for being our guest today. So thank you if you would do that. I would appreciate it. Romans chapter 14. Open your Bibles if you would, please. Romans chapter 14. We come now to the time of service, which is uh, the reason, at least as far as I'm concerned, the reason why we're here, to feast on the Word of God, to, to grow uh, and prepare ourselves for the battle that's ahead of us in the weeks to come. Uh, the Lord gives us his word, and he's promised that his word would not return to him void. And that's what we're claiming at this hour. Romans chapter 14, we're going to begin reading in verse number 10. And I'm going to ask you, if you would please, if you found the passage, to stand with me in reverence to the word of God. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 10, where the Bible says this, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here to your house this morning. I thank you for giving us your word. and We thank you for stirring our souls already this morning and just in the ministry through music and through the uh, the message of the songs that have been sung. Lord, it's, we're excited as we look forward to the time when we are to be there in your presence. But I pray that you prepare us for the battle that we're still involved in right now. Help us to remember as we look forward to that time that there's still much to be accomplished and you've left us here for a reason. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful in following, pursuing that reason, that purpose that you've given to us. Lord, as your vessel today, I want to thank you for allowing me to speak to your people. I pray that I will never take advantage or take, uh, take that privilege for granted, but rather, Lord, that we would recognize it for the great responsibility that it is. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me at this time. I pray you forgive me of sin. And Lord, allow me to speak those things that come from you. I pray that you protect us from any kind of error or anything that would be contrary to your word or your work or that would in any way bring reproach to the name of Christ. Lord, I want to pray the same for those that hear, that everyone would hear with a heart that is fully receptive unto you, uh, as yielded to your Holy Spirit, and we would enter into the message this morning with a commitment uh, to follow you however you may lead, and to respond to the wooings and the leadings of your Holy Spirit immediately as you lead us. 
Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified through it all. I ask that if there's anybody here that doesn't yet know you, that they would trust you before leaving this place. We praise you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. As an outgrowth of the brief series that we've just finished on Sunday mornings dealing with temptations of trials, there's another set of scriptural principles that ought to be dealt with before moving on to something entirely different. All of you are aware of the teachings of Scripture regarding judging others, or at least I think you are. You're also aware, as was pointed out a week or two ago, that sometimes temptations come from other people, even from within the church. The biblical principles regarding our view of the actions of others constitute what might be called a two-way street. What I mean by that is that sometimes we're instructed to measure our actions by how they're perceived by others. While at the same time, uh, we're instructed not to be easily discouraged or even, or even defeated by the attitudes of others. I know that may sound a little confusing or maybe even convoluted, but I pray that you'll understand the point that I'm trying to make as the message proceeds this morning. Over the years, I've seen principles or these principles played out in the lives of God's people, often with unfortunate results. I've known many who were once excited about serving the Lord, and they've now fallen by the wayside. They're out of church and away from God because of the actions or opinions of others. I can't tell you how many church fusses I've been witness to and even had to referee at times because of people despising one another's service or becoming haughty in their comparisons one to another. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, there's a passage there, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 12, where the Bible says that we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Did you understand all that? (laughs) Did you follow all of that as we go through? It's not doublespeak, really. Essentially what the Apostle Paul is saying under the leadership of the Spirit of God in this passage is it's not a smart thing to measure yourself by someone else. It's not a smart thing to determine your own spirituality or your own maturity by how you measure up or how you compare to other Christians within your own church or even within uh, the greater family of faith as you go out into the world. The point is that we are not to measure ourselves by ourselves. By the same token, an extreme number of modern churches have become totally ineffective at truly impacting the world for Christ and for righteousness because they've adopted the fear of judgmentalism or intolerance as their prime directive in ministry. In other words, they're more afraid of intolerance than they are of unrighteousness. Now, let Lest anyone jump to any erroneous conclusions, I have no intention this morning of sticking my nose into their business. I'm not here to preach for or against other churches. I'm here to speak to you as our family of faith and as the people that God has given to us to minister to. Uh, Our purpose is to see that we as First Baptist Church of Webster have the proper service and the proper attitude toward service. So I want to talk to you today about biblical principles involved in judging and casting or stumbling at stumbling blocks. We're just going to call the message something catchy, like judge not, trip not. (laughs) 
and hopefully you'll follow that as we go in a little bit further. Who knows whether we'll finish this one in one attempt or not, but we're going to begin by briefly examining the much misunderstood scriptural teaching concerning judging. This is not new territory for us. We've been to this place before, and so we're not going to dwell on this a long time, but I do want to give you some um, some skeletal outline, if you will, so that you can see what the Scripture actually has to say about judging not, that you be not judged. God tells us that we are not to sit in the seat of condemnation, that we are not to sit in the seat of the judge, passing judgment upon another's spiritual condition, especially with regard to their salvation, but even beyond that, with regard to their maturity level uh, in Christ. The Bible talks about this here in our text in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. We ask the question, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there are actually a couple of different words that are mentioned or used with reference to the attitude that's being addressed here. The first is the word judge. He says there in verse 10, why dost thou judge thy brother? That word actually means to sit in condemnation of or to make a ruling that a person is guilty and worthy of punishment. God tells us that that's not our job. We're not supposed to sit in the seat of the judge. Uh, that we're not worthy to pass judgment on another. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1 says it very, very plainly and directly. Judge not that you be not judged. Right? Direct command of God. Romans chapter 13 and verse 4, earlier on in the same passage, actually a chapter ahead of where we right now are in Romans chapter 14. But in Romans chapter 13, verse 4, it says, For he is the minister to God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be that's not the verse I want. Uh, let me see what verse it is that I'm looking for. See if I can find the right one here real quickly. Uh, verse... Uh, Chapter 14, verse 3. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. God is able to make us stand if we are his servants, that we are not to sin in condemnation of another man's servant. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant, he says in verse 4 of our text. Uh, To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. The whole point here is that we are not allowed, we are not permitted by God to sit in the seat of the judge. And this is something that is touted very much today, and it's something that we would do well to pay heed to. But there's also a second phrase. He says, not only are we not to judge our brother, but look again at verse 10. Why dost thou judge thy brother, and why dost thou set at naught thy brother? This phrase, to set at naught actually comes from a single Greek word, and the meaning is to look down on or to despise or to reject with contempt someone who is a fellow servant of ours. That is to look down on somebody who is not doing what we think they ought to be doing or is doing something in a different way than we think they ought to be doing it, Uh, and so therefore we sit in the seat of the judge in this case. So this is going back to verse 3. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. It goes both ways. He's talking here, obviously, about eating that which is sacrificed to idols, talking about the food that you take in, and we'll get into that a little bit more in detail as we go through this morning. But the admonition is to both sides. You're not to look at the other and look down your nose, your spiritual nose at them, and say, well, I'm better than you uh, because I don't do this, or I'm better than you because I do do this, or that, or the other thing. 
That's not our call to make. Now, while I'm saying that, let me do, quickly say this does not preclude uh, spiritual discernment, which is an entirely different subject, and we'll talk about that at another time, okay? But for now, understand that this works in both directions. We are never to judge another service as unworthy because I have a higher standard of personal separation or service than you do. So I don't have any right as a child of God, to look at you and say, well, you're not doing it the way I would do it, or you're not do- you don't have the same uh, measures of uh, personal godliness that I have, and so therefore your works or your effort to serve God is not acceptable, uh, or, nor do I have on the other side the right to despise another person's service because he has a higher standard than me. Now, by the way, I have to say very quickly that this is actually practiced more commonly today than the other. When people actually look down their noses and think that somehow or other they're more spiritual because I happen to hold a standard that they don't hold. And they, uh, they become very con- uh, condescending in that attitude. And I see it all the time, and we deal with it quite often in, uh, in religious or church work. Uh, deciding that a person is pharisaical or hypocritical just because he or she has a higher standard than you do and not because he's attempting to impose those standards on you. Now, it's one thing if a person comes across and says, you either do it this way or else, uh, and, and that's, that, that, can kind of, that can be an imposed standard and outside of the framework of the local church. It could be very dangerous. But this is talking about a person who simply holds a different standard than you do, maybe on a higher plane. And some people would say, well, that person is hypocritical because uh, he doesn't think that it's okay to do such and such. Okay? I'm not going to fill in the blanks. You do that. But the point is that there's a great misunderstanding about this whole idea of judging. And God tells us that we are not to sit in the seat of the judge determining a person's level of spirituality based on all these exterior criteria. And he tells us why. Verses 10 through 12 of our text, Romans chapter 14, he says, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. The point is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only judge, right? He is the only one who's worthy. Hey, you know what? The last time I checked, there's only been one man that ever lived that was perfect and sinless. And his name was Jesus the Christ, right? Uh, he is the God come in the flesh. He has dwelt among men as a human being, tempted at all points like as we are, and yet without sin. And that enables him to be the judge of all flesh. And nobody else sits there. No one else is is guiltless. No one else is free from the condemnation that they in turn would pass on another. God has set Jesus Christ to be the judge. Romans, uh, John chapter 5 and verse 22, the Bible says, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So Jesus is the one appointed by the Father to be the judge of all men, right? Acts chapter 17 verse 31, he says, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Who is, he, who is God talking about? Well, who is it that he's raised from the dead? It's Jesus Christ. And he is the one who's been appointed by God to be the judge of all mankind. So my service that I render to God will be judged by God alone in the person of Jesus Christ. And you don't have the right to judge that. And I don't have the right to judge that on your part. 
Now, this again, uh, there, there's a whole different set of studies that we need to do sometime about talking about imposed standards of righteousness within the context of the family, within the context of the local body of faith, but that's a different study. Okay, what we're talking about here is sitting in judgment on another. No one else is so perfect and acceptable to God as to, derm- as to determine another person's spirituality or acceptability. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says this, therefore thou, art, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we're sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? <laughs> In essence, there's an implied uh, additional statement here. You better think again. If that's what you think, that you're going to escape the judgment of God just because you are sitting in the seat of the judge, God says you've got another think coming. The whole point here is that it's wise uh, to be sure that one is right before God. Make sure that you are doing that which is pleasing unto the Lord. Uh, the Christian as to service and the loss as to salvation. Make sure that things are right between you and God. Now listen, if I'm here as the preacher this morning and I stand and I tell you uh, that you're lost in sin, if I tell you that there's none righteous, no, not one, if I tell you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, I want you to understand something. I'm not judging you. I'm telling you the good news that you've got a bad condition, but there's hope, right? Uh, That Jesus died in your place, and if you'll trust in him, he will save you. He'll be your savior instead of your judge. I'm also giving you warning that unless you get that right, one of these days you are going to stand before him as your judge and not as your savior. But uh, by the same token, if you are God's people, I as your pastor standing before you and saying, listen, you really ought not to do this, or you ought to serve God in this way, it is an exhortation, uh, a loving exhortation to you as God's servants that we would serve God together in that fashion. But it's not necessarily me sitting in judgment and say, oh, man, you must be some kind of a spiritual reprobate because you don't comb your hair like I do. You understand the difference, folks? Uh, it's not the same thing at all. So God tells us, listen, you don't have the right, you don't have the responsibility to sit in judgment of another because there's one that is worthy to do that, and that's Jesus. Now, in this particular context, before I will move on, I do want to point out to you that God is talking about standing before the Bema seat of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, wherein he judges not our uh, condemnation or absolution, but rather uh, he judges the merits of the service that we've rendered. Okay, Uh, so whether to determine whether it's worthy of reward or whether it is not worthy of reward, this is the same judgment that's talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, where he says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. When he's talking about being uh, the, the things that he's done in his body, whether they be good or bad, he's not talking about whether they are sinful or non sinful. He's talking about whether it is good service or bad service whether it's serving God or serving the flesh and those kinds of things. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, the Bible says, that Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire that shall try every man's work of what sort, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So this is the kind of judgment that he's talking about in this passage. And in essence, he's pointing out to us as believers, listen, you're not the one that's sitting on the bema, that's Jesus Christ, right? 
the judgment seat is of Christ. He is the one who determines the acceptability or unacceptability of the service that you've rendered unto God. Having established that, we can now move on to the major point that I want to make to you in the message this morning. And that is that we are not to trip one another by casting stumbling blocks in one another's way. God says don't judge one another, but he also says don't cast stumbling blocks. Look at verse 13 of our text. Romans 14 and verse 13. Let let us not therefore judge one another. There's a reminder. Let us not judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. God says you want to be careful that you don't cast a stumbling block in your brother's way. Let's look at a few more passages that talk about the same idea. Romans 14, verse 20 says this, For meat, destroy not the work of God. Uh, All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Now, before I go any further, let me simply point out, when God says here in this passage, Romans 14, 20, all things are pure, he says it again in Romans chapter 14, uh, earlier on, when he's talking about the things that we eat, that's what he's talking about is food. Okay, he's talking about the kinds of food that we eat, and he says everything is acceptable to God. There's not anything anymore under the New Testament economy that's considered unclean by God, and that because of eating something, you're going to have a a lower standard or less favorable standing before God. All things are pure if they be received with thanksgiving, and that's what he's talking about, not talking about morality here, uh, just so that you know. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. You see the word offenses? I want to talk to you about that word in just a moment, okay? But he says, Mark those which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned, and avoid them. So God makes a point here that we are to mark the people that cause divisions, that is schisms in the body, and those that cause offenses. Now listen, he's not talking here about someone who goes around hurting people's feelings, although there's certainly a way to deal with them biblically, right? He's not talking about, well, somebody sat in my pew, or somebody said something or did something that made me angry because I perceived it in a certain manner. He's talking about someone who has caused an offense in the sense of causing another person to fall into sin, to fall into condemnation. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, the Bible says, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. So the offense that he's talking about, the stumbling block, is doing something or saying something that will cause another believer to fall into sin, as opposed to hurting his feelings or making him angry. There's a further development of this in the later verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. He says, For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish, for whom Christ died. But when you sin so against the brethren, uh, the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if, my, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh, while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now, what he's talking about here is people that would offer or eat things that were sacrificed to idols. In those days, especially in the area around Corinth, uh, there were meats, there were, there were foods that would be used in the idolatrous worship, they would be used in the temple, they would be set before uh, the, the pagan gods, the pagan idols, uh, as a sacrifice. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed or not, but statues don't eat much. And so, after they had offered those sacrifices uh, to their gods, they would then take them out and take them out into the marketplace and sell them at a discounted rate. 
And so the frugal believers were going into the marketplace and saying, hey, here's some cheap bananas and strawberries, or here's some cheap meat, or here's some cheap food. Uh, I'm going to buy this, and I'm going to eat it, giving thanks to God. And some of them were saying, now, wait a minute, you can't do that. We were saved out of idolatry. We know that this was offered in sacrifice to these pagan gods. When you eat of this, you're partaking in the worship to these gods. And in observing that, many of them, because they saw the quote-unquote stronger believers eating these things, they would fall back into their idolatrous lifestyle. In essence, they would say, well, if they're going to do this, then I guess it must be all right to continue to worship our idols. And they would fall back into that idolatrous form of life. So what the point is, is that by eating these things, they were causing other people to fall into sin. They were causing other people not to grow spiritually, not to become strong like they should have done. And it wasn't, it had nothing to do with making them angry or hurting their feelings. Okay? Uh, We need to understand that because so much of today uh, goes on because somebody gets their feelings hurt instead of what uh, affects their standing before God. Uh, The point is that this causes the brother to act without faith or in violation of his or her conscience. If you go back to Romans 14, verses 22 and 23, the Bible says this, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Now, the question here is being asked, do you think that you're strong enough as a faithful believer of God, you're trusting God, you're receiving this meat as unto the Lord, you're receiving it with thanksgiving, you know that the idol is nothing at all, and so you're receiving it with thanksgiving, you have faith in God that's been purified and sanctified. He says, good. Now, if you've got faith, you have it for yourself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. But then he goes on and qualifies that in verse 23. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. God says if you've got a doubt about it, if you're wondering about it, if you're not sure, stay away. So the way I, basically the way that we simplify that command is when in doubt, don't. Right? If it's not of faith, don't follow through because in doing so, you are sinning against the act of faith or the the measure of faith and you're violating your own conscience. Ultimately, this kind of thing could potentially lead to the weaker brother's departure from the faith or his return to a besetting sin. It would hinder his growth. It would not allow him to mature to the level that he needed to mature or even many times cause him to fall back uh, unto the world and to idolatry. That's the kind of offense that he's talking about here. I want to remind you that this kind of offense is directly contrary to the law of love, which is the overriding law of the New Testament. It is the law of the Lord Jesus Christ. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? And that you love one another. The Bible also tells us in Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. And he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, by the way, let me just pause here and say, if you want to just forget about the Ten Commandments, memorize one. All right, here you go. Uh, it's briefly, uh, the Bible says, if there be any other commandment, uh, it's briefly comprehended or enveloped in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. God says this is the wrapping up. This is, the, this is why it's the first and, great, first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor 
as thyself. And so the law of love, the law of charity, as it calls us here in Romans chapter 14, the Bible says this uh, in, verse, uh, in verse number 10, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, earlier on, the Bible says, In this doest thou not charitably. You're violating the law of love when you do that. Okay? Uh, so the Bible tells us that it's unloving to decide that this is just his problem. I'm going to do this, and he can, he can take a hike or whatever, because that's just his problem. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 28. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty, George, of another man's conscience? Verse 30, the Bible says, For if by, I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? And then verse 31 puts it all together. And he says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is what you do. This is the measure of the things that I am to do and not to do. By offending a brother in the sense that we're talking about here, an individual is actively seeking his destruction. You, you are actively pursuing his fall because you know that these things are an offense unto him in the biblical sense. And I've got to remind you that that actively seeking another's destruction stems from hatred, not from love. Right? When I love, I seek the other's good, even above my own. But when I hate, then I seek vengeance, I seek uh, destruction, I seek annihilation, and all of those other things that go along with it. Also, I need to remind you before moving on that this is intentional. When he's talking here about uh, not offending a brother, he's not referring to violating another's standards when I'm truly unaware that he or she holds them. All right, I'm, I'm going blissfully about my own business, and I come across an individual who has some kind of a standard that I'm not aware of, something that I don't know of. You know, he only parts his hair in the middle, and anybody who doesn't is some kind of a reprobate. Uh, and I don't know that, okay? Uh, the, 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 if I walk into his house and I've got my hair parted on the left-hand side, uh, like I've done since I was 12, uh, then, then I'm not violating his, his conscience on purpose. I'm not offending him. So the admonition is to don't cast the stumbling block uh, in front of the other. It also doesn't condone, condone, on the other hand, pretending to be unaware of another brother's stand uh, so that I don't have uh, to worry about what he thinks or so that I have an excuse to do what I wanted to do anyway. You understand the two sides of the coin here? Uh, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm not going to trip my brother. I'm not going to intentionally cast something in his way that is going to hinder his stand before God. Now, there's one other aspect of this that I want to wrap up with this morning, and that's here. The second aspect of trip not. There's judge not, and we've already talked about that, trip not in the sense of actively judging or tripping up another brother, and then there is the trip not in the sense of don't stumble over something that's been dropped in your path. Okay? Uh, avoid offense yourself. That is, uh, realize that not everything that happens, especially within the church, is being done intentionally. And you understand that there are some Christians that walk around looking for offense. They carry the proverbial chip on the shoulder, right? And, and that's, by the way, that's one of the reasons why there are many times there are so many difficulties within the church. You ever noticed that nowhere else in the world do people 
stop going or stop doing that because there are hypocrites present? I've never, I've never heard anybody say, I'm not going to the movies anymore because there are hypocrites there. Have you? And by the way, there's a whole bunch more of them there than there are here. Right? I've never heard anybody say, well, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop working where I work because there are hypocrites there. It only works in church, right? Because somehow or other we come in here and we think that we, uh, uh, by the way, most of the time the one who is judging others of being hypocritical is a hypocrite himself. Because he's holding them to a higher standard than he himself holds. God talks about that in judging, right? And this is the only place in the world where sometimes uh, people get mad uh, at what one person does and the whole church is to blame. You ever notice that? Anyway, that's a different sermon. I don't know how I got off on that. <laughs> the point that I try to tell you here is we need to trip not in the sense of don't stumbling. Don't stumble at the stumbling blocks. Listen, folks, it is inevitable, but that offense has come. We're, we're, we're folks. We're people. We are not any of us perfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect. All right. Whew. Scared me there for a minute. I, I thought maybe I thought maybe I was in the wrong place. Uh, there's not. Listen, uh, the church is not for perfect people. We serve a perfect God, but we realize that all of us have failures. All of us have sin. All of us have things that uh, the, that we're dealing with in our own lives. And the Bible warns us about taking offense because of another person's actions. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 says this, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Now he's talking on here uh, uh, about people judging, again, another with respect to some of the Old Testament ceremonies and the, uh, the, the codes of the law and so forth, the ordinances, if you will. But with the exception of what we've been talking about earlier on, with those that intentionally cast stumbling blocks in front of their brother, the point here, I believe, is that you don't decide your actions based on what someone else might think. Because to do so is to serve out of the fear of man. Now, we don't have time to go there this morning, but you understand that God never says anything positive to say about the fear of man, right? The fear of man brings destruction. But the fear of the Lord brings wisdom. We need to understand that we are to fear God. We serve only Him. And so I don't gauge my actions. I've known a lot of people, and I've got to to confess, even amongst preachers, and I've probably been there a time or two myself, where we make decisions, spiritual decisions, about what we will or won't do or what we will or won't accept based on what we think somebody else might think. That's not wise, according to the verse that we started out with, right? Right? Comparing themselves among themselves and measuring themselves by themselves doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you're measuring yourself by a faulty standard. Don't allow someone else to cause you to sin. Don't allow someone else to offend your conscience or to act without faith. Don't don't allow someone else to cause you to turn against God. Listen, folks, two things you need to understand. Most of the time, now there are exceptions, and that's why God takes time to reprove it. But most of the time, if somebody, if, if there's a stumbling block that's in your way, can I put it this way? Most of the time it's been dropped by accident. Somebody didn't set out to cause you to fall. Most of the time, if they've just been going on serving the Lord Jesus Christ, doing what they believe is right, and you happen to see it and take it the wrong way, and you stumble at it. And God says, listen, don't allow those things to cause you to cease serving the Lord. 
you understand that there is only one who is perfect. And we are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God on high. There's only one who is worthy of our worship. There's only one whom we serve. We are not the servants of men, although we do serve one another, but only in a secondary sense. Primarily, I serve God. So I guess what I'm trying to say, folks, is this. If I have offended you, especially in the sense of causing you to sin, I'm awfully sorry. I didn't intend to do that. But by the same token, what are you doing looking at me? Look at Jesus. Can I tell you that Jesus never offends? Jesus never causes anyone to fall into sin. Let not any man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. So if you look at him, you won't be offended. Remember that the actions of others in this regard are not always intentional. Have faith in Christ, not in other people. And look to God's word and look to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God to determine what your standards or your behavior ought to be in any given situation. This is one of the reasons, by the way, folks, and I'm just going to be real honest with you for a minute. You seldom hear me stand and preach a message where I say you ought to cut your hair a certain way, you ought to wear a certain kind of clothes, you ought to... uh, I don't usually do that, right? Now, there may be some times when I say, listen, as a church, we need to to tighten up a little bit. But most of the time, I don't preach those kinds of messages. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is much better at that than I am. And He can tell you what things are pleasing to God, whereas I might get it wrong. And the Lord might like your hairstyle, right? Whereas it may be offensive to me in a strictly human sense. Now, the whole point, folks, is that I'm to look to God's Word. Meditate on the Scriptures. Immerse yourself in the Word and allow the Word of God to spill out from your life and to establish for you, as the Holy Spirit ministers in your life, your standards of separation, your standards of godliness and how you're going to serve and even your methodology and service. Let God establish those things based on the leadership of His Word. Allow Him to standard, uh, to be your standard bearer, if you will. So the admonition this morning is quite simple. Judge not, trip not, and oh, by the way, trip not. There's stumbling blocks out there, folks. But if our eyes are on Jesus, then he will lead us in the path that we ought to take. Now let me ask you as I conclude this morning, how do you stand before God? If you stand before the judgment seat of Christ today, or even worse, if you stand at the great white throne of judgment, How do you stand before God? Not before me or another Christian, but before God alone. Are you forgiven? Are you redeemed? Are your sins under the blood? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Are you free from His condemnation? Christian, let me ask you this. Do you find yourself in a throne of arrogance, judging another man's servant, Have you intentionally cast a stumbling block in the way of someone else for whom Christ died? On the other side of the coin, have you stumbled at something that another believer has done or said? Don't you think it's time that we got our eyes back on Jesus and not on one another? 
something's not right between you and God, or if you just need to spend some time in quiet prayer, we're going to open the altars in just a moment. And I'm going to ask you to come and get things right between you and the Lord. You say, preacher, things are just fine between me and God. That's okay. You can come and pray if God so leads. But let's make sure that we're following our standards of relationship to one another within the church of the living God. Stand with me if you would, please. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us these things this morning. I pray that you would help us to keep a wary eye on the stumbling blocks that may be cast in our path, either intentionally or unintentionally. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, I pray that we as your servants would be vigilant not to be offensive to other brothers and sisters in youth by casting our standards upon them and causing them to sin against you. Lord, I especially pray for that one this morning who stumbled at the stone which has become the headstone of the corner, the one who is still seeing Jesus as an offense rather than as a Savior. I pray, Lord, that they would come and receive you before they leave this place. Glorify yourself, I pray, in our brief invitation time. May your will be accomplished. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Page 342.